Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. I'm in a constant race with myself to see if I can say that faster than the last time. Uh, we're back for we need season to, We need one to bring the Micro Machines guy out of retirement. We do, yeah. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be righteous? We could have him do all of our ads and all of our intros. <laughs> I think he's dead. Is he? And he probably died. Because he was like my dad's age when I was yeah. a little boy collecting Micro Machines. So. Pretty sure he talked himself to, self to death. You if know. he's not dead, he's like 87 and probably not that not that spry of tongue. Yeah, yeah, not anymore. Uh, we're back for season one wrap-up. We're going to talk a little bit about season one, you know, what we thought, uh, and do a bunch of listener email type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also talk about differences between season one and the books, which is something okay. that we did up until season four, season five. So I thought it would be a nice little thing to do as well. Yeah. Um... First off, I have an email right up front. Uh, we might have inst- uh, caused some hysteria amongst the listenership. Uh-oh. Uh, Mike McSee says, We all be doing episode recaps for season seven. During the one uh, episode, or season one, episode 10 recap, you mentioned that there would be a hiatus after the final season one pod, and y'all be back either before or after season seven. Are you referring to your efforts to recap season two or three, or will Game of Thrones podcast possibly not return until season seven is over? <laughs> Perish the thought, Mike. No, we yeah. that we were speaking only of our rewatch. We are definitely going to be back for season one or season seven. Yeah. Uh, now, keep in mind, season seven is both a shorter season than is typical. It's going to be eight to seven episodes, and by all reports, it'll happen later in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how later. We're, if we're talking like in the May, June, God forbid, July. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, it's going to be longer. So. That's why I was kind of uncertain exactly when we'd be back on the uh, quote-unquote airwaves. But we definitely will be back. We'll have full coverage for Season 7. We'll come back for a preview podcast the week before HBO comes back with Game of Thrones, as is our regular routine, and then we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not sure when we'll do Season 2. Part of me says it would be sweet to do that as a ramp up and lead into Season 7. Okay. Part of me says it would be sweet to keep like you know season two after season seven and then we can do season three after season eight the final season that seems nice and symmetrical sounding very confusing yeah uh but i but but we will do it i mean we're committed to doing the back catalog at this point right yeah we had nothing but fun and nothing but success doing it so Uh um and if it were not for westworld walking dead and a million other shows coming between now and the winter we'd probably keep on rolling but uh there you go. Yeah, a lot of people upset. A lot of people upset that we're uh, we started them we're, on a rewatch that we're and not we're going doing to seven. that we're going to abandon them. Oh yeah, oh. that we're not. <laughs> sure, I wish. <laughs> like I said, how much? I mean, I don't know how much money I would invest of Bald Moose Fortunes to, if I could get an advanced copy of season seven right now. Hmm. Uh, probably nothing because we'd be sued into oblivion. But <laughs> I, I'd personally spend a lot to see uh, season. Season 7, Episode 1. Uh, okay, so let's talk about differences between the books and the show. Again, I don't know if this is uh, super interesting, but it seemed to be popular back when we were doing it. Um, I cribbed these from both my own knowledge, some listener feedback, uh, a helpful guide on the Game of Thrones wiki. Uh, there's also um, a uh, IO, there was an IO9 article that did a kind of an episode by episode. Now this is not exhaustive because I found 
there was like a page and a half of notes just on the first scene of the first episode. Like it wasn't right. the yeah. the Rangers. You know, it was like the Rangers in the book had read forth for many days. In the show, it's implied that they were attacked in the afternoon, and there's the Rangers had different names, and the sequence of them being killed was different. And like, so it's like mm-hmm. that's not what this podcast is going to be. This is going to be what I thought was interesting or stuff that impacts the narrative of like why and, and and things where i want to ask a question why do you think they changed it and and for people who might be afraid of spoilers or whatnot uh that we're going to get into with the books the the first book is pretty much the entire first yeah, yeah, season yeah. right like that's they the line thing. up almost exactly there's a couple of spoiler there's a couple of things in the differences that would be considered spoiler i've admitted all of those Okay. Um, so admitted yeah. or omitted? I've I've omitted it. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I've <laughs> well, admitted I... all. I put them all in. <laughs> if there's a chance to spoil our listeners, I'd take that every time I can get. No, I'm I'm tr- I try to be respectful of that. So, uh, first and foremost, and this kind of underpins the entire season, is they made the decision to age up pretty much all of the young characters. Right. Uh, and they did that primarily by the books begin just 14 years after Robert's Rebellion. In the series, the 17 years have passed, which turns Rob and John from 14 turning 15 to 17 going on 18. Uh, Bran mm-hmm. becomes 10 instead of 7. Rickon goes from 3 to 6. Sansa goes from 11 turning 12 to 13. Anaria is now 11 instead of 9. Hmm. Same thing, Joffrey's now 16 instead of 12. And that's a these ages up weren't all consistent, but it seemed like it was all with a purpose. Yeah. Uh, Marcella's 11 instead of eight uh, going on down. Danny is 16 instead of 13, which, you know, that adds to the level of uh, discomfort for a lot of her scenes in the book. Uh-huh. Where we have a Dothraki horse lord who might be 14 or 15 himself. Who knows? Right. Uh, you know, having sex with a, uh, with a 13 year old. Um, but clearly, the reason they do this is just for those occasions. Like it's, you know, instead of, uh, you know, Amelia, Cl- Amelia Clark pr- portraying a barely legal Danny, she'd be portraying a, pre- a, a p- barely post pubescent Danny. And there's no fucking way, even when HBO, you could do something like that. Right? No. I mean, it, it's one thing when you're reading it on the page and your head is kind of like filling in these gaps. Yeah. But like, to, to actually see the actors portraying this, I right. think it would be too much. I would think that if HBO ever did a series where, like, a 13-year-old was raped, that would be the focus of the series. It wouldn't be a right. footnote yeah. into the larger story. So, yeah, pretty clear of why they did that. Um, let's see. And also, you know, correspondingly, the adults are much young, uh, older. I mean, I don't know how Sean Bean, old Sean Bean is, but certainly not in his early 30s. No. Uh, same with Michelle Fairley. Uh, actually, same with everybody. Like uh, you know, Dan- um, Queen Cersei and Robert are all visibly older than what you would imagine them to be in the books. But like I said, I think it I think it fits the spirit of the the show. Uh, there's also a, a weird thing that I didn't even remember that in the books, uh, the wheelhouse, which is the giant carriage that Cersei rode up the Winterfell in, was described as so huge and large that was pulled by 40 heavy draft horses and was too wide to pass through Winterfell's gates, which would have been a cool imagery, like this giant double-wide mobile home, essentially, of the queen rolling up. But it also seems silly. Like, can you imagine that thing being pulled by 40 Clydesdales? (laughs) 40 horses. I mean, they've got to cross bridges, and they've got to... 
Like, how do they get up the King's Road with that? Well, that Isn't it like a dirt path at points? Yeah, right. And that's <laughs> like, I feel like that's one of Martin's things. We talked about it before, how like when, you know, they showed him early visualizations of the wall where it was its proper book height of almost twice as large as it yeah, is. Yeah. And he's like, damn, that's a big wall. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe scale it down. <laughs> like, it seems like his impulse is to go way larger than life on some of these issues. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, 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 whether, I just don't know if he doesn't, know what like a proper scale is right uh like we talked about in the babylon 5 podcast where they're always talking about planetary devastation killing a quarter of a million people like that's a big amount sure yeah you know you drop an asteroid on america and 300 million people are dead and we're not even like a 24th century society (laughs) so Uh I, i think that's that's the case of that but it'd been cool um also another thing that consistent in the books uh that's different in the show is everyone's much better looking uh, Jorah is described as being bald, stocky, hairy, unattractive. Uh, you know, in the series, he's actually quite handsome, if not weathered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion is misshapen, legs different size, mismatched eyes, fucked up face, hunchbacked. And in the show, he's Peter Dinklage. Right. Who is quite handsome, aside, aside from his statue. Um, How'd they do with Cersei? Uh, no, Cersei's super, super accurate, hot. Right? Yeah. Danny's supposed to be super beautiful for, okay. you know... Again, adjusting for Jamie, the fact that obviously, supposed Jamie's to be good supposed looking, to be super yeah. good looking. But Cal Drogo is like he's described as having long, like a Fu Manchu mustache with like uh-huh. beads and silver rings in it, and his be- like he's just way more ornamented. And like uh, I think the Illyrio character's got a forked beard that's painted gold, and he's right. Uh, and Tywin's bald with bristly golden, uh, like like sideburn whiskers jutting out, and. <laughs> green eyes flaked with gold like there's all kinds of so i honestly think that the the the, the trend towards um realism in the casting was good and, and another yeah, example yeah. is if you want to see an example like book accurate costumes um you know s- slight spoiler we'll eventually meet a crew called the unsullied who are described in the book exactly as the household guard of Illyrio. if you go back to the first episode where danny first meets doth uh, uh, uh cal drogo they're sitting there. They've got like their shields, and they got these leather jerkins, and they get these ca- these these small round caps with these giant spikes on their head. That's exactly what an unsullied is supposed to look like. Okay. And I think we're glad that the showrunners look at that and be like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna call some audibles here." Yeah, I, we don't need to be watching the Fifth Element here, right? Right. Like, <laughs> right. Just tone it down a little bit. Um. Let's see. I mean, here's here's a classic example of something from the um, the, the differences. Uh, in the book, Jamie pushes Bran from the window from his right hand. In the show, he oh, uses his left hand. Like, come go on. fuck yourself. Come on, man. Uh, let's can, see. Can, is this a wiki? Can we delete that? Can we go in and have our <laughs> you probably audience, could. Like, you probably could. Uh, It'd be instantly restored by a horde of outrage nerds. But right. And, you could. And we could We could hopefully combat them. Ooh, are you saying Marshall the Bald Move? War. Or, no, yeah. no. Game of Thrones wiki war. Do it. <laughs> we had, back in our early history, we had a wiki war involving Batman and growing <laughs> corn that right, didn't end well for anyone. anyone. grow corn. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cal Drogon, Danny. We talked about this a lot, and I'm just going to say it. Like you know, in the books, the, the sex they had is described as consensual, that she yeah. finds pleasurable. In the show, uh, their early sexual encounters are unambiguously depicted as straight up rape. Yep. Until she turns the sexual tables on him. 
we discussed in, you know, if you want to know, if you want to hear an hour or so of discussion, listen to the first few episodes of this, of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise we're moving on. Um, in the book, Cat Stark encourages Ned to accept King Robert's request in the TV series. He's afraid for him and begs not him not to accept. Um, I, I don't know exactly why they did that other than to kind of sell early on the kind of faded nature of his trip to Winterfell mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, to King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise it cat in this show is a little bit of a one note character. Uh, you know, we, we're not often, uh, asked to feel sympathy or, or think that she's being awesome. Maybe her arresting Tyrion is a notable example. Um, but I mean, unfortunately they keep that like, I guess emotionally pure. Like they didn't want any guilt in there. They wanted more like yeah. anger instead. I guess. I mean, it, it just, it just, unfortunately that change, um, for whatever reason, I think even made a cat a more of a one note character because right. the, her hatred of John, you know, uh, I think it's explainable, but it, it is hard to watch as a, as a viewer. Sure. Uh, let's see there. So there's an, we talked about this a lot in the season too. There's an additional scene that they inserted where Cersei comes to Bran's bedroom and speaks to Kat about her first child and losing her. Uh, that's a scene to add a lot of depth and texture to the Cersei's character. But yeah. yet in the books, we find out that Cersei tells Ned much later that she never gave birth to any of Robert's children. And she in fact had an abortion when she accidentally became pregnant with one. And Robert was unaware of all these. So I do think that these this was one of these. Th- these were all scenes, if, if we remember last week's episode, where we had this interview to Double D's where they said they ran out of budget and mm-hmm. pages to give to HBO. So they invented a bunch of people sitting around and talking scenes. I think this scene with Bran and his bedroom with with Kat and the scene where they discussed this child together was one of those invented scenes. And I think we're just not supposed to notice the the <laughs> okay. discrepancies uh, arri- uh, that, that arrived. It was a kind of a desperate gamble. Uh, if if they didn't if they didn't do that, it's arguable that Game of Thrones would only been like eight episodes long, mm-hmm. um, and probably the poor uh, on balance the poorer for it. Some of those uh, yeah. some of those scenes were extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, depending on which which scenes were originally there and which scenes were added, sure. Uh, I, I enjoy a lot of those scenes. Uh, they added an additional scene where Ned and John get to say goodbye to each other on the King's Road. Uh, on balance, I think it's because without scenes like that, that the mystery of John's mother and the extreme circumstances around his being born and and all that would be way more understated like as it is there's a lot of people that completely forgot about that as the series goes on but Mm -hmm. they set this kind of mystery up early and that was one of the things where you know it gave them a good a good moment to act off each other and also you know something to set in our minds that oh yeah there's there's more to be told here uh, they added an additional scene in the series where Kat does her CSI Winterfell routine and finds the golden hair, uh, which serves to make her more suspicious of the Lannisters going into the Valerian blade attack incident that she and Bran suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's just so the audience would kind of be hip to that idea before they needed to reveal it. I, I don't know why it's a probably show rather than tell kind of thing. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, there's also a scene where when Sansa lies in front of King Robert about what happened at the 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 river at the stream where Joffrey gets beat up and his sword thrown into the river, mm-hmm. uh, Arya gets mad to the point where she attacks 
Arya, uh, Sansa knocks her to the ground and starts beating her, which I threw in because everyone loves Arya. Yeah. In the books, she's a real pistol. <laughs> uh, Bran in the series doesn't have dreams about the three-eyed raven before he wakes up. Hmm. For the first time um, in the series, he wakes up when Sansa's direwolf is executed. In the books, the dreams he has about the three-eyed raven are the things that eventually wakes him up. What do you make of that change? Wait, what? That's hard to follow. Sorry. So in the books, he has a sequence of dreams, vivid dreams involving this three-eyed raven that wake him up from his coma. Okay. In the series, he wakes up when Sansa's direwolf is executed by Ned. Right, right. Okay. And then he starts dreaming later on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it it says more about the wolf, I guess, than the three-eyed raven at that point. Yeah. Which it, is an interesting choice, I suppose. It's also just by... Re- I don't know how to talk about this without spoilers, frankly. Okay. I think it's also just from, from a television moment, it's an interesting, like, bang to, like, you know, he's in a coma, we don't know sure, anything yeah. about these powers that he might have, and then this wolf gets killed and it makes a direct connection to him, and we're supposed to think that those events are connected, and we later throughout the season find out... That there are there is some unusual things going on with this this Stark child. So I think it's mm-hmm. just from a dramatic possibility of his open his eyes at this moment is it's <laughs> it's just cool. Okay. Um so the other thing, because I know later on in the series people start talking about people with jetpacks and warp drive sail ships and whatnot. Um in the first season in the book, Cat and Sir Roderick arrive at King's Landing before Eddard Stark. Because they take a ship from White White Harbor, which is the the major harbor of the north. Uh, in the series, they come riding by horses in the King's Road to arrive after, which I thought was interesting that they actually made a concession from, a, well, we're going to change this in the books, and it's going to change the order of time travel. And mm-hmm. you know, I still think all the other stuff is mostly horse shit in later seasons um, <laughs> of, of people complaining for, for no good reason. But it does seem like they were a bit more careful in the in, in the early goings to kind of make those travel time a little bit more reasonable, easier mm-hmm. to believe. Uh, in the book, Littlefinger has Catelyn summon to meet him in the Red Keep, not in the brothel he owns. Uh, thus, Catelyn's negative reaction in the line, Back Alley Sally, did not appear in the books. And, for, and they're the poorer for it, right? Like... I guess having Littlefinger, ha- you know, entertain her at his whorehouse not only allows mm-hmm. the back alley Sally routine, but also shows him as a little bit more cunning. Like, right? Hey, yeah. you can't just be walking around like you know in, on your like your official business. It adds, it makes him more mysterious and seems a little bit more worldly. I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a another invented talking head scene between uh, Queen Cersei and Prince Joff about him being able to rewrite history when he's a king. Um. I mean, I thought that's another one that they just invented for the page for page length sake, but it was a good one. Yeah, I thought so. Um, it sets up a little bit of depth to Joffrey that's not in the books at that point. Uh, in the books, when the royal steward summons Eddard to his first small council meeting, Eddard asks for and is provided with appropriate garments to attend this business. In a TV series, the steward suggests so, and Edward ignores it. I mean, that's just to show the North the Northmen are you know homespun, rough and ready, don't give a shit about frilly kind of costumes thing, right? and especially Ned. I I feel like Ned is that to the nth degree. It makes them more like barefoot savages, because in the book it's like, you know, Ned, he might be from a poor northern region, but he knows what's expected of a lord of his position serving. It'd be like, you know, 
Jimmy Carter going to the White House in fucking overalls and a straw cap. Like, yeah, he's from Kentucky or he's from a he's what from Georgia and he's a peanut farmer, okay. but Pysel he knows the way away suit. with it. <laughs> Pycelle's wearing his fucking bathrobe. Sure, sure, man, sure. But you know that's what's expected of of the Grand Maester to be kind of a, war, right. a wizard type. Yeah. Um, in the books, Barristan Selmy the Kingsguard is present at the small council meeting, but he's absent in a TV series. Uh, this occurred because the Double Ds did not want Sir Barristan to know that Jorah was a spy in the TV series, hmm. which will be interesting to see how that works out in the future. Yeah. Um, the oh, also for because there are a lot of people like to bag on their series is they you know they always change dialogue and it's never for the better. Right. How about this? In the book, the saying is the king eats and the hand takes the shit. In the series, this, the saying is altered as uh, the king shits and the hand wipes. I feel like the latter is a much more pithy, you know, natural expression. Yeah. King yeah, shits, hand wipes that. versus the king eats and the hand takes the shit. Like, yeah. I mean, the hand probably takes some shit, but yeah, that's, it's it's not as right. elegant. That feels like an African proverb badly translated, you know? It's like <laughs> right, something there's yeah. something's a little lost there. I, and, you know, again, I, I like I prefer the the TV version. Uh it's not Tyrion Lannister, but the blacksmith at the wall, Do- uh, Donald Noy, who breaks up the fight between John Grin, Toad and the other uh Night's Watch recruits and chides John for humiliating the other recruits and advises him to befriend them. Clearly this is a Martin's Razor issue. Uh, who wants to introduce this blacksmith, and why pass up an opportunity to make Tyrion look even more awesome? Right. You know, makes him look like he's this wise judge of character, which is going to snowball throughout this season and, in fact, the series. Uh, A a notable omission is Lord Commander Mormont in the book has a raven that's much like uh, 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 a parrot on a pirate's shoulder. He sits there and makes pronouncements like he says snow and crow and, and crow and corn. Uh, and it's kind of like they, they both use it for comedy, mm-hmm. atmosphere, um, foreshadowing. And I don't know. Would you what would you have thought about the Lord Commander having a talking parrot crow on his shoulder? It sounds pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I'm kind of glad they cut that. So. Super works in the books, though. Huh, okay. Uh, Castle Black, in direct contradiction to books, is shown as having walls and a gate. Uh, in the novels, I mentioned as many times throughout the run, but uh, it's it's a matter of, like, law that the, none of the castles on the uh, the wall can have any walls facing south because that's okay. to prevent them from rebelling against the realm they're supposed to protect. They only have walls and fortifications to the north. Okay. But I guess that would be silly-looking. Like, if you just had a whole bunch of, like, weird-shaped buildings with no wall, it wouldn't even be a castle at all, would it? I don't know. It's like those uh, those cities that are built into the side of mountains or whatever. It'd be kind of like one of those. I think it'd be cool-looking. You know, I I'm, I agree with you, and they could have answered that as, like, part of John's coming to the wall. Like, not yeah, much Tyrion of a cat. could yeah. explain it. Like, yeah. yeah. I think it would have been, been visually cool. Not only that, but I think it's another world-building moment where people really think about, oh, this is the relationship the Night's Watch to this. And like I said, that yeah. it could have been so easy to brought in. They didn't. Um, Sam tells Jon Snow about his father ordering him to the Night's Watch. Uh, in the book, Sam well remembers this scene with his father skinning a deer. Uh, obviously, they changed yep. the story, but they took the deer skinning and gave it to Tywin Lannister when he's talking to Jamie about his destiny. Yeah. 
which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. There, it's it's a great use of the book. Use use every part of the book you can. Uh, in the TV series, Littlefinger tells Sansa the story about the Hound and how his face was scarred by his brother. In the book, the story is told by the Hound himself, who sternly warns Sansa that if she tells anyone, he'll kill her. Why would he tell her the story then? So, <laughs> this there's a lot more to the relationship of Sansa and the Hound in the books. This is one of the hmm. deeper parts of the story that you can only appreciate if you read the books. And there's a lot of implication that the Hound had a younger sister. Huh. And there's also an implication that this younger sister was murdered by his brother, right. the Mountain. So, you know, there's a lot of people that see, like, a sexual connection between Sansa and the Hound because they don't get this context in the books, whereas a lot yeah. of book readers just see it as Sansa is the the daughter, or not the daughter, the, the sister that he misses and wish he still had and is protective over her because he doesn't want to see her ground up by great men the way his sister was. Right. Um, so like I said, that one little change kind of has ripple effects throughout the, the whole series of how we see Sansa and the Hound. Uh, this one surprised me. I forgot about it. In fact, I would have viciously denied it uh, had I not been confronted with the evidence. But Robin Aaron in the books is actually Robert Aaron. Sweet Robin is just his Robert? nickname. Huh. So he's named after Too Robert Baratheon. Roberts in this yeah, and so show. I... In, in researching this part, I think that that's something that Gurm. Well, I don't think he said as much. He said that one of the things I did when I was writing Game of Thrones is I set out to break as many writer traditions as possible. Like, you're not supposed to have characters with the same names or similar sounding names. You're not supposed to have this many characters, period. Right. He's like, fuck it. That's the way real life works. You know, there's not one fucking Robert in all of America or James. It's like, so why would there sure, be in yeah. Westeros? And a lot of family names repeat, and you see, you know, people paying homage to that, and that that makes it super fucking confusing. But it's also kind of cool and three dimensional. Um, so who knew? Uh, the scene in which Jamie attacks Ed is different in the series. In the books, uh, Edard and his guards are on horseback; they're away from the brothel. It's nighttime; it's raining. Jamie wants only to frighten Ed, Edard, and he orders his men to kill the Stark guards. Uh, Ned does not have a one-on-one duel with Jamie. Instead, he's injured in the scuffle when his wounded horse falls on him, which breaks his leg. Hmm. So, I guess the only, I, I, why do you think that they changed it to have this one-on-one duel with Ned and Jamie? Just because it's cool? Probably, yeah. They were probably at that point like we need some some cool sword fighting scenes. We've been kind of teasing this confrontation between Jamie and Ned the whole time. Right. Let's let's see it out. Yeah. Uh, does that change anything later on when Tywin, you know, uh, I guess scolds him for both a attacking Ned in the first place and also why the hell is he alive? I mean, that scene like, that's that's another scene that's only in the show. So ah, yeah, okay. I guess it would. Um, if it happened in the books, he probably would have had a slightly different take on it. Although he'd still probably chided him for trying to scare ned like what is that what a lannister does like you know these Mm -hmm. parlor tricks um he's probably got he's probably got a way to disapprove of his no matter what his children does yeah it's his kind of method of keeping them under his thumb uh let's see the there's an addition so ah that's too spoilery i want to talk about it a lot but we'll we'll talk about in the spoiler part um there's an additional scene uh in Vase Dothrak, where Danny holds a heated dragon egg and gets burnt by it. Or no, it doesn't get burnt, but her her slave girl, Eerie, jumps in and grabs it and is burned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not in the book. It's in the series, probably to go along with supporting the Danny is fireproof 
mm-hmm. thing that ends up, you know, happening at the end of the season. It's a foreshadowing of that. Uh, oh, speaking of b- words that are better in the series and the books, uh, there's an ad- additional scene in King's Landing between Arya and Sirio, uh, where the series only quote, there's only one thing we say to death, not today. Mm-hmm. That sequ- that that phrase does not appear in the books, the whole not today. And judging by the number of t-shirts and posters huh. and Facebook uh, backgrounds and whatnot I've seen, that's that's a really popular change. Uh, Syrian's confessions of the crime is significantly extended in the series. In the books, he stopped immediately. Why in the series, he gives several funny examples of his guilt. Yeah, I enjoy that. Got no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in fact, the series is way funnier than not, not that the series is laugh out loud funny, but there's way more humor in the series than the books. And I will say that the book's attempts at humor is a lot more broad, right? And right. you know, a dick and farting, kind of, and, yeah, kind yeah. of. Uh, uh, that that kind of stuff. So I, I appreciate the slightly. I mean, not not that there's no lowbrow humor. I mean, good sure. God, that's that's most of what Littlefinger taunts to to uh, Varys are. Yeah, but. and Tyrion's always talking about his dick and just sure. yeah, sure. But made the bald man know. cry. Uh, in the book, Tywin Lannister is not summoned to the court by Ned Stark to answer for the mountains' crimes in the Riverlands. Instead, it's just to bring the mountain to justice. Okay. I. Sp- Becky, much like they Does had it matter. Well, I think that just much like they had Ned and Jamie personally square off the fact that Ned, the head of his house, is calling out the the father and the the patrifamilias of the other great house is kind of like, uh, you know, they they seem to be pushing that as an almost like a sports team franchise, like are you a Lannister or a Stark kind of mm-hmm. thing, um, and so that just amps up that animosity between the houses to have Ned call him out as a traitor. Okay. Uh, in the Eerie's High Hall, in the Tyrion's Trial by Combat, in a series that takes place right there by the open moon door, and immediately after Tyrion's confession, in the book it takes place in the Eerie Garden the next morning, uh, the series is way more exciting. All right. Like, combat so I, by the open door, that was fucking cool. I guess Bronn doesn't throw anybody out the door then. <laughs> no, he just stabs him and kills him. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, the door is way cooler. Uh, also, in the TV series, the moon door is an opening in the floor of the Eerie's High Hall. In the books, it is a weirwood door that stands between two par- pillars on one of the Eerie's uh, High Hall's walls. So it's like a door, a side door that oh, you throw man. them out from the side of the mountain. Rather, yeah, It makes a hell of a lot more architectural sense, though. It does, but still, yeah. way cooler in the show. Not Not nearly as cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tomard, one of the guards at Winterfell, is sent to Dragonstone with a letter informing Stannis Baratheon that his brother has no rightful heirs, making him next in line of succession. In the book, Stannis had already investigated this with John Aaron and knew that Jaime was the father of Cersei's children. That's a That's... really interesting change. That that Stannis was like John Aaron's right hand man and was with him throughout the. They're like Mulder and Scully with this investigation. Oh, it wasn't just like John was was there investigating and had reported back. It was... No, I guess Stannis like went with him oh. to investigate Gendry and all the other bastards, and he was like aware of the whole thing. Um, huh. I don't... The only thing I can think of is they wanted to avoid in the the viewer's mind the question of why Stannis would not just go to his brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think 
in the books, they, they have a, uh, even in the show, they talk about Stannis kind of being an asshole. And Robert says, I never, you know, I have two brothers, but I don't really feel anything for them. You're the brother that I chose to Ned. Right. But in the books, it's much more explicit that Robert and St- Stannis just don't get along. So if Stannis is like, yeah, your children are bastards, that God knows what Robert would do. Okay. He might kill Stannis. He might kill himself. He might... You know, so Stannis is more. Uh, when John Aaron dies, he flee. He flees to Dragonstone just to kind of get away from all the ruckus and 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 decide and, and decide what he's going to do and gather support because you can't also just raise banners against the king when your king's your brother and he owns all the banners that you would be able to raise. Like, right? They just don't want any of those questions to come up in their mind. I think. Okay. Uh, let's see. In the books, John has to convince her master, Maester Aemon, to pass Sam out of training because of his reading skills. Um, because most of the Night's Watch recruits are lowborn and few can read. While Sam is not only well-read but well-educated and can be useful for helping the blind Maester handle messages in his uh, little rookery. Uh, sure. But in the series, they just leave that Sam just automatically passes and is made a steward. Mm-hmm. Which I think we had a an email, a pretty eloquent email from a listener saying that they missed that because it showed kind of John's flashes of being a leader from the beginning. And yeah, I don't, if they were hurting for pages, that was a good scene. I'm not sure why exactly they kind of gave that short shrift. Hmm. Uh, let's see. That's not super, super interesting. I'm going to skip that. Uh, also in the books, the, the fight scene between Sirio and the Kingsguard and the Lannister men. In the books, they are more lightly armored, except for the Kingsguard himself. And Sirio, with his wooden sword, it does grievous damage to them, killing them with stabs mm. to their neck and their unprotected neck and eyes. Okay. In the series, he merely disarms and injures them. Uh, given that this is HBO, one. yeah, but given this is HBO, and we made mention of the fact that, like, I don't care how badass a swordsman you are, you hit someone in the head with a dowel rod that's wearing a helmet, right? Either that's the worst helmet in the yeah. world, or, 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 or what? Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure why they changed to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not exactly a football helmet right. type of thing. It's not meant to like. I guess it's not meant to really stop the impact so much it is as it is the piercing right like i mean they were padded with leather i mean they weren't ignorant of what the effect of right, having but, your bell run yeah, was but leather yeah oh it's i mean yeah padding. i'm not saying it's like snell certified or it's it got any kind <laughs> of real utility in that that but it's yeah. still still yeah no, if i put a fucking that... tin bucket on your head and smacked it a dowel rod i wouldn't expect to incapacitate you you yeah. probably wouldn't be happy about it. I think, but... I think you're selling the the wooden sword short. <laughs> okay, it's a it's a pretty thick dowel rod if we're going with that example. And it's probably I think in the books they're even weighted with lead, so it oh, actually boy. has the, okay. the the weight and heft yeah. of a real sword. Because otherwise, the, momentum. the the balance the, the, to make the balance work. Right. Um, hmm. But yeah, you, you might be right. Uh, there is a duel in the series between Mago and Drogo, or uh, Drogo literally pulls out his th- uh, tongue through his ripped-out throat. Um, in the books, that con- that confrontation never happens. Uh, Mago complains that Danny's taken up all of his rape victims, but uh, Drogo actually sustains this wound, and it's a much more serious wound hmm. in a fight with a rival cow in, pre- in preparation for his invasion. Okay. So it's a worse, much worse wound... Uh, and it's not get, uh, delivered by one of his men. Uh, it turns out that, I guess, Jason Momoa 
campaigned for a fight scene for him because he didn't think that, like, he's like, well, we hear about Drogo being a badass, but we never really see it. Well, yeah, I mean, you take a look at Jason Mimosa and you think, <laughs> holy shit, that he guy. tastes like orange juice and champagne. Yeah. <laughs> well, you think Conan the Barbarian. Right. Which, you know, he's in the movie. I mean, I, I you love don't really it. need to see him fight, but yeah. Right. I, it was cool, sure. I I I love the change, and I think that he's right. Like I, there's already too much of people being said to be badass without any real evidence. That's true, yeah, and like that would be like, good God, this 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 whole continent is populated by wharfs and 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 Boba Fett's people <laughs> that we hear are dangerous and skilled and respected, but all we see them do is you know get their dicks kicked in. What were those? I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the animal that Worf was hunting on those pl- on. On his planet. Uh, sure. Vronx. Wasn't it something like I, that? Something like that, yeah. I, I don't remember. Klingon hellhounds. Um, Let's see. I got to scroll because I, I can I consolidate a whole bunch of shit. Uh, after being dismissed, Sir Barrison throws a sword at Joffrey's feet and tells him to add it to his throne. He suggests that Stannis will soon arrive to depose the boy king anyway. After the old knight leaves, Joffrey decides his last words are treasonous and orders the gold cloaks to go after him and apprehend him. Hmm. Ha ha, Barristan has to kill two members of the City Watch and escapes. In a series, he's simply allowed to leave. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for making Barristan more of a badass whenever possible, but I thought his his words were badass enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I believed him. Melt it down, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Like so much butter that I'll spread on your ass. Wait, <laughs> what? That's, that's that's taking it in the, <laughs> the wrong direction there. Yeah, don't let me don't let me rewrite your pages, man. Uh, all homoerotic fan fiction <laughs> in the book. Walter Frey imposes one more condition on the Starks. Two of his young grandsons, Big Walter and Little Walter, will be taken to Winterfell as wards, which Cat agrees to, thinking that Bran <laughs> needs the company of children of his age. Big Walder, Little Walder. Yeah. Well, he runs out of names, you know. They're just all Walders and... Really? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, God. He's like George Foreman up in there. He's just got George Jr., George Jr. to second, George Jr. to third. Uh, now, interestingly enough, as you would expect, these Walders are real shit. And they're not exactly the uh, compa- the, the true bosom companions to uh, to, to brand that Cotton might, might have Im- imagined. Makes sense, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's just more characters you don't need. Hmm. You need the Martin Razor, that shit. Uh, TV series changed Shay's backstory, which is not detailed in the books, as being from the Free Cities, because while they enjoyed the addition of actress uh, Sybil Kikili, I guess is her name, but but they wanted to have some explanation for why she speaks with a German accent. Hmm. Okay. I would have said next and found another one, but, you know, that, that works too. <laughs> right. Uh, the story about Taisha in the books is slightly different in the series. Tyrion was 13 when he met her, not 16, which is consistent with us not being creeped out by their non-Western sexual values. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, After she was gang-raped by the soldiers, Tywin forced Tyrion to be her last. Tywin's soldiers paid her a silver coin each, uh, but Tyrion was ordered to give her a gold coin as Lannisters are worth more. So the effect of this is just to make it even more traumatic for Tyrion, right? Like being thirteen instead of sixteen, I feel like taking t- your wife after all the rest of the barracks that had to go, right. and then yeah. paying her—it's like it's it's fucked up. So there are a couple things wrong with this scene. A, it's tough to force a guy to do it when he doesn't want to. Tough, True. not impossible, but tough. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't know how Tywin can just say Tyrion, get in there and plow. Yeah, and maybe he's going through gonna, the motions. I mean. 
I mean, maybe yeah. it's possible. But yeah. the other thing is, if the Lannisters are worth more, she's not paying him. Mm-hmm. He's paying her. Shouldn't she get less because the value of Tyrion doing her is worth mm-hmm. more? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't she get it like a copper? It's debatable. It's like people okay. charge more for wedding parties. You know, it's like the same party. Charge occupa- more for you, wedding parties. Yeah, like so. Oh, uh, then other. This is something I've discovered. Yeah, like you sure, go to yeah. a space. Like uh, for, I know this for a fact because I went to the Rheingeist, mm-hmm. who we already independently approached as bald move as like, hey, if we wanted to rent out for some kind of live event, we got one set of numbers. Six months later, I asked them about a wedding party, and I got another four times inflated numbers. I think people Surprising. charge more for more important uh, personages. I mean, obviously, the point isn't that she was doing extra work. It's 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 some further kind of fucking mind game he's playing here. Right, right. But yeah, uh, in the in the book, so so during Tyrion's battle scene, which we talked a little bit last week about how they envisioned it as being kind of this cool scene where he's dancing underneath the mountains' feet as the mountains rampaging. Yeah. Uh, in the book, he gives his battle speech. Um, He's before uh, riding in the vanguard and fighting a knight whom eventually yields to him. He's also described as wearing a mishmash of armor instead of his custom Lannister suit from TV because his armor is still at Casterly Rock, as you'd expect. Hmm. Uh, This causes the audience to miss him spearing a horse with a unicorn helmet, the only thing they could find to fit his head. What? That would kill him. I, yeah, right, like a horse him. rear up, and then, yeah. yeah, you'd think that would cause some cervical spine damage, but... <laughs> yeah, compress the shit out of his vertebrae, man. Well, and, you know, in, in a universe where... So, I guess armor's just way more effective in the books, because <laughs> in the show, a Dalrod can defeat a helmet, right. whereas in the show, the the books, the unicorn helmet is proof against all... You know, how much do horses weigh? Five, six, seven hundred pounds? Hundreds of pounds. Coming down on you? Yeah. Hmm. I always thought that was weird in, like, The Lord of the Rings, too, where Sam's able to fend off that spider just with the... It, it like, lands on him with all of its body weight to crush him, and then, yeah, he hits it with a foot-and-a-half sword, but, like, I feel like there should just be a... Yeah, maybe Shalab (laughs) dies, but there should just be a smear of jelly on the ground where the Hobbit was. Right. Uh, but yeah, of course, in the series, Tyrion, uh, for, in a budget-friendly move, is knocked out cold before the battle even begins. Yeah. Funny, uh, but not nearly as cool. Yeah, so in the books, Yorin tells Arya that the man who brought Gendry to him was the same one who told him to delay leaving and be at the Sept of Baelor. This is very hinted to be Varys, the okay. one that's facilitating all that, mm-hmm. uh, because the trial of Eddard was supposed to result in him being sentenced to take the Black, and then he'd be going to Yorin with the Wall. Uh, I actually think I, I'm not sure why they didn't hint around this because it makes it a lot cleaner. We're left with a lot of questions like why the hell is Gendry here and why is he at this Great Sept of Baelor? Why isn't he already gone? Right. Like I feel like if again, it's weird because it's knowing that they as were a coincidence and, and knowing that they were hurting for extra scenes that just involved people talking, it makes right. it really weird that they invented all this other stuff and didn't have a little bit more of this connective tissue. But then again, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to make a Hollywood production. Uh, the brawl between Arya and Hot Pie is much more violent in the books. Arya breaks Hot Pie's nose. Hot Pie is the fat kid that threatens her, if you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when she turns on Lamy, who is the other a kid that threatened her, Hot Pie attacks her with a jagged rock. Arya then beats <laughs> Hot Pie till he shits his pants. What? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of that lowbrow humor for you. <laughs> Again, Arya's a badass in the books, man. Yeah. Uh, if anything, they undersell it in the series. Uh, does she ever stab him? 
Well, she stabs the other boy. This is not the hot boy is not the other. Oh, the the big fat yeah. the, sec, the one where there were two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right when she's getting into the wagon, the and, paddy wagon, and Gendry eventually scares them off. Right, and the book he doesn't. He just warns her about the rock attack, and then right. she does okay. the, the shit, the literal shit knocking out of him. Yeah, uh, I feel like in the show she was ready to, but yeah, yeah, you know, she's probably just gonna run him through. <laughs> Uh, in the books, before Danny steps into the pyre, she asks she asks uh, Rakaro, Jogo, and Ago to be her blood riders, and assigns them as her co's. Or uh, what's co ko is uh, um, Dothraki lieutenant, I guess is what you'd call them. Okay. Uh, all three of them refuse at this point, declaring that only a male can lead the Kalasar and have blood riders, and she is just a Khaleesi. However, after right. she emerges unharmed from the pyre with the three hatched dragons, the three Dothraki warriors recognize her as blood of my blood. Um, they kind of give that stuff all to Jorah, and I guess that's fine. Uh, I think this just reinforces the uh, patriarchal hierarchy of the Dothraki and what a thing it is that's, that Danny's overcome this. But I feel like that's there in abundance sure. already in yeah. the show. So. yeah. Um, but it's kind of cool. They reject her until she magically comes back from a fiery death with dragons, and then it's like, okay, whatever, YOLO, yeah. be your blood riders. Uh, and that's all. Those are the, the major differences. Uh, again, it's not an exhaustive list. Um, you can find that. Uh, the best place is uh, the uh, Game of Thrones wiki, uh, the wikia. Um, and if you, if it's the first result if you search for season one differences between the book and the show for Game of Thrones, it's the first result. Yeah. Um, and in fact, all the all the all the all the primary sources, except for my own memory, are the first result of that Google search because I'm lazy, and Google's effective. Right. Uh, before we get to feedback, I want to share a couple things with you. Number one, recently we passed 20 million downloads, and when we hit a milestone like that, uh, we like to do a little bit of a Q and A. That's something that the uh, Club Bald Move supporters get to do all the time with us, but uh, you know, not everyone's a club member. And we just take general questions from the audience, and you can send those to us at qa at baldmove.com or send them to us on our forums. Um, there'll, there'll be a sticky thread about that in the forums. Uh, but, yeah, anything that you would like to know about you know, behind-the-scenes podcasting or our opinions on any other television or movie or video game or whatever, like uh, you know how our bowel movements are going. Like I'm not sure we'll answer everything, but right. you know, uh, it's, it's there to be asked. Uh, asked at QA at baldmove.com. Uh, we will probably be uh, doing that over the next couple weeks, and it'll be a video podcast. You can also get a get a gander at uh, how ugly we are in real life. Mm. Uh, also, last chance I get to talk about this with our Game of Thrones audience, but uh, RocketCityNerdCon.org, we're going to appearing, be appearing at Huntsville, Alabama the weekend of October 22nd through 23rd. For 25 bucks, you can get a weekend pass, or $15 is the day pass, and uh, we're going to be putting on lots of different panels. Uh, we're going to be appearing at our booth and, and meeting and greeting folks. Uh, there's going to be a fun uh, Game of Thrones-themed game that we're going to be playing in front of an audience it's, that I'm looking forward to, where you can win some Game of Thrones uh, prizes mm -hmm. uh, just by appearing. And it sounds like a good time. So if you that sounds like something you'd be into, go to rocketcitynerdcon.org. And uh, get your tickets today. Uh, finally, if you'd like to support Bald Move, and if you've been listening to us for just this season or many, you see how much uh, time and effort we put into these podcasts uh, every week. Uh, we, we, we put in a lot of elbow grease to give you a nice uh, polished prod uh, product on time that you can rely on. 
And the only way we can do this is uh, by doing it on a full-time basis. Uh, we do many, many podcasts through the week, usually about one a day coming out. And that stuff requires full-time effort and it requires full-time funding for at least us two dudes. Two ways you can do that, club.baldmove.com, where you can sign up for a very low fee uh, to get a bunch of premium features. Or you can go to amazon.baldmove.com, uh, where you can help support us just by shopping on Amazon. How easy is that? So regardless of how you do it, club.baldmove.com or amazon.baldmove.com, know that we really appreciate it and we could not do what we do without your continued support. So thank you. So shall we get the feedback? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Josh L. says, I feel like the emailer who speculated about Yorn's reasons for aiding Arya left that one justification that the show itself presented. Remember, Yorn tells Ned that he rushed into King's Landing to tell him about Cat kidnapping Tyrion, nearly exhausting his horse to death in the process. His stated reason for doing that is he feels Benjen is as much his brother as Ned's. By extension, he would know Arya is Benjen's niece and would likely be willing to protect her not only because of the Starks and much of the North's respect for the Watch, but also because he's helping an innocent family member of one of his best friends and respected colleagues. Mm-hmm. Fair point. I, I don't think so. I don't think we ever questioned why he would do it, but was this allowable? Yeah, right. Like and, and, more so guess, like, is this breaking his oath right, or whatever? Right. Like, and, I, and those are all wrapped up in those questions, you know, like this, yeah. the reasons he would do it versus why he's doing it. Um, sure. And I, yeah, I, I think it's also probably wrong to say he did it for any one of these reasons. It's probably a combination, right? Like, right. I don't know that he does this for a Lannister child. Probably no, just probably keeps on not. Riding. Probably yeah, I mean, there's there's some sympathy points. Uh, some a sympathy card to play there at that moment where Ned's being put on trial. And he says, go get my daughter. Uh, Josh also says, Jim's wondered frequently why Tywin hadn't killed Tyrion in the past if he was so intent on seeing him dead. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I entirely agree Tywin wanted Tyrion killed outright. If he did, he probably would have gone through with the drowning him the day after he was born. <laughs> right. Uh I think this part of Tywin wants Tyrion to prove he's more than a lecherous drunk to prove that he's worthy of being a Lannister, similar to the sentiments he expressed to Jaime in the deer cleaning scene. Mm. Sending Tyrion and his men in the vanguard is something of a win, semi-win for Tywin. If Tyrion falls, he dies gloriously in battle, or at least that's the story they can tell. If he manages to figure out a way to survive, maybe he'll prove something in the process, be it marital prowess or enough wits to make it through. Tyrion certainly comes across as a throw-the-kid-in-the-deep-in-and-see-if-they-swim kind of dad. I imagine he's more than willing to follow that philosophy to the extreme with Tyrion. So, does that make sense? Like, I've got this useless lump of a Lannister, Mm -hmm. and if he dies in battle, that's probably better than him, you know, choking on wine while he's getting blown by a whore, Mm -hmm. as far as what the papers will say. And if he lives, then his, his legend grows a little bit, and maybe I'll make a man out of him. Yeah, I mean... That makes a certain sense. On the other hand, I, I mean, Tywin probably doesn't like Tyrion much for killing his wife right. uh, on the way out. Um, I mean, cl- to be clear, he, we don't blame Tyrion for this. No, this no, is, no, right. This is Tywin projecting, probably. Yeah. I, I'm saying things that Tywin would probably say yes, about him. Yes, Uh And, you know, the, the idea that uh, he, yeah, he's a Lannister, but I feel like Tywin is ashamed of him just just because of his physical form. Oh, I agree. Like, I, I think Tywin views that as... Um, Unforgivable. Well, yeah, certainly killing his wife, I would imagine. I I don't know. I, for, for me, I always imagine Tywin hating Tyrion a little bit more than, I guess, is on screen in season one. I don't know. Yeah. I, like Maybe I said, I'm it's... trying to imagine, like, I'm trying to remember exact... Right. 
I mean, no, I, I think stuff. that there's it, it's a complicated relationship, and I think that eventually the show does it justice. Um, but yeah, like it's it's an open question, and there's like if you want to go into there's lots of spoilers and tinfoil you can go in like backstory and like why that might be even more than what it is on the face of it. But I, I suppose that does make a certain amount of sense, though. Right? Like if he's already in this situation, he's got Tyrion. Yeah. Well, let's see what he turns out to be. Sure. It's almost like uh, it's playing with house money. Yeah, like it's yeah. you got a Lannister who's not really a Lannister, so like you know if something it's it's like if 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 he does something with himself, it's a bonus, right? Jimmy D, on the last podcast, you guys were discussing a strategic move of Rob and why he had to use the twins across the Trident. I didn't hear anyone answer correctly, so I thought I'd weigh in with the answer, and I got mm. three or four people that gave the same answer, and I was much appreciated because it finally helped me understand. Rob was on his way to River Run, which is besieged by Jamie and his smaller army. He would gain the support of both the Freys and the Ma- uh, wait a second, and the Malisters, adding a few more thousand men to his army. I okay. think he meant Freys and the Tullys, or maybe it's the Malisters. Hmm. Uh, maybe that's a Tully, uh, Tully faction of the army. Uh, the reason he didn't travel the King's Road is because it would ha- it ran him right into Tywin and his main army. I believe the thinking behind it was to take on Jamie's smaller army and then free River Run and to avoid the full brunt of Tywin's army, which was around the same size as Rob's. Sure, he could have fought Tywin and possibly won, but if he lost that battle, the war surely would have been lost. A very big risk indeed. So that okay. makes sense. Like, why go through two armies to get your main objective if you can cross the, the twins and just head up one army led by the more inexperienced commander. And it also, I think, it explains why splitting up his army works, because it gives yeah. it gives his main, it gives Rob's main army time to conquer Jamie's smaller army right? by sacrificing a couple thousand people to right. Tywin's army that probably would have killed them. You know? And it makes sense, because Tywin wanted Jamie to go cut off River Run because that they probably would have sided with, with Rob. Right. So he's trying to cut him off from a source of more troops, and also garrison the King's Road to like block him from either approach. So right. Makes sense at both ends. Rob just uh, got the better of him. Uh-huh. Lisa S. said, during last week's podcast, you mentioned an email where the writer had suggested how to fully man the wall by making stricter laws that would cause more people to join <laughs> right. between unreasonable prison and or death sentences to joining the Night's Watch. It's kind of a Giuliani era, you know, broken window theory. Yeah, if you break a window, you go to the wall. Prohibition, man. Graffiti, you go to the wall. Oh, can yeah. you imagine if they just cracked down on drinking? Sure. Public everybody, drunkenness. Everybody goes to the wall. Public nudity, swearing in public. <laughs> right. You can just swell the ranks. Uh, but this gave me an idea. Since the wall is so short on men and ones they have are mostly bottom of the barrel types, why not change the rule about no lands, no children, or wives? They promise land to build on in the gift, which if you don't know, the gift is this, I think it's like a 10-mile stretch um, from the wall down south that it's, it's it was given from the north to the wall, and that's like for their exclusive use to farm and raise cattle on. And it's kind of like you know a way for them to provide for themselves. Okay. Uh, but say they promise land to build on and the gift for the men who already have wives and families and any who start after joining the Night's Watch. Maybe more men would be willing to join, especially uh, the poor of Flea Bottom, uh, mm. which is the if you don't know is a the poor district of uh, uh, of King's Landing, Flea Bottom. I mean. The, the, the name itself describes it. What do you think of that that policy? If you're king in Westeros, do you uh, enact that policy? It feels a little bit like trying to get like there's there's a license plate shortage in America, right? Right. And we're trying to get more people to build license plates to make license plates. Right. 
So we want to send more people to prison. So now we're incentivizing people to go to prison. Right. Like, if you go to prison, you can actually take a woman with you. You can have kids. Right. Still. You know, you, you're not just a cell. You can have like an acre of land to build a house on. At that point, is it even prison? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't leave. Right. But you have so it, it's like uh, Pablo Escobar, right? right? Like, if we give everybody a mansion and everything they could want. But they can't leave. I mean, yeah. that'll annoy some people, but some people will fucking love it. And what do you do about the children? Like, you know, what if someone amasses some wealth? So here's here's my my thought is the Night's Watch is essentially like the King's Guard, only for the entire realm. And the reason you don't want the okay. King's Guard having titles and lands and all that is because it allows them to be bribed. Someone could go in and say, right. I'll give you such and such a land if you betray the king. Well, if the King's Guard are are uh, you know, barred by law from holding lands and titles and whatnot, then they're kind of untouchable. And that's what the Night's Watch is supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. like, while that would, as you say, Lisa, that would definitely swell the ranks and make it and incentivize people to join up, um, I don't know if that actually gives them a better cohesive fighting force, one that could be swayed by titles and lands and... You know, if someone that's the other thing is if, if someone shows like distinction up there, then like can they leave? You know, like a, what like if people could leave at any time, if it was like a f- four year kind of draft, I'm sure a lot of people would would more people would join. But I don't know. It is weird that they stick to this eight thousand year tradition without any change in the face of all these different challenges. But yeah, I'm not sure exactly how you'd make the wall great again. Yeah, I mean, you'd also give people something to live for, mm-hmm. which you might not want. Yeah. Like, if, if they have too much to lose by going to battle in the north, uh, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just, you know, find a reason not to. I, I still find it weird that the wall is that out of favor. Like, I get it's a hard post, but some of these families are massive. Like, look at all the phrase. Mm-hmm. How many sons does he have? 30, 40? And and all of them think it's preferable to live in this dank dungeon of their fathers where he's insulting <laughs> them and lording it over and they're never going to get any pretty watch. Like, it, that's preferable to going up and having some adventure up on the watch. Like, some of these noble houses have to have so many sons and they're never going to have any chance of distinction or be able to inherit the house. And there's going to be always being living off the 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 generosity of their father or their older brother. Like, really? Yeah. Nobody thinks the wall? Like, like look how many... Look how many people that we have that voluntarily join our army to go to dangerous, inhospitable climates just because there's a chance of glory and distinction and and honor and you know all the things that the Night's Watch say to protect. Like, yeah, I don't know. Isn't that arguably what Bingen did? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there are some people up there I sure. imagine that are like that, right? Who are just like, eh, I'm not going to get anything down south. Let's go north, right? Um, but yeah, they're. They're way fewer than and like the every winter. And every winter, you don't have like you know a couple like when the white ravens fly out from the citadel announcing it. You don't have a bunch of peasants that like ha- haven't had great crops this year, or that don't have a lot of money. Like right. don't have any prospects. Like well, I could starve here, or I could go up and get three hots and a cot up on the wall. Like it feels, you know. Yeah, I I think it's the the permanence of. Of that decision, right? But you know what's like, permanent? Freezing to death in the winter. Well, I, <laughs> right. I'm going back to like your your thing where oh, I'm living off the grace of oh, my brother yeah. or father or sure. whatever. Like once it's it's not just like oh, I'm going to go up here and have an adventure for a while. It's like 
the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, so, how well would the United States Armed Forces recruit if yeah. it was for life? Right. <laughs> it's a much harder sell. Yeah, so, true. I, I don't know. Uh, people go up there for all kinds of reasons, I guess. All right. That's all the non-spoiler email we've got. We've got a couple more things to talk about in a spoiler edition. But, yeah, this is, if, if, if you are a spoiler-phobe, this is the last time we'll uh, be talking with you about uh, Game of Thrones. But... We have a bunch of stuff that we're covering now that you may be interested in if you're fans of quality television. Right now, mm-hmm. Jim's covering Halt and Catch Fire. Mm-hmm. We're jointly working on a uh, uh, Mr. Robot project that will be concluding over the next two weeks. Uh, Cecily and I started American Horror Story, which started off uh, pretty good. And uh, Westworld's coming in two short weeks. And we'll be yeah. covering that from day one. If, so if you're a fan of high-profile HBO projects involving sci-fi fantasy, <laughs> which I think you might. I think this might be talking about you. Uh, stick with us. Our new show is going to be called Watching Westworld, and it will, we'll have a preview podcast out for it next week, mm-hmm. same time as this one. It's so convenient. You don't even have to change your podcast listening habits to stick with us. It's true. But, yeah, go to baldmove.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at baldmove or on facebook.com slash baldmove. It's the best way to keep up with all of our latest releases and what we're up to because we'll be doing a lot of stuff between now and uh, next year's Game of Thrones. Watching Dead or Walking Dead coming back yeah, in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, hope you'll join us and, and stick with us. If not, we'll see you next year. And we're back with the spoiler section. What do you got? It's all listener from here on out, man. Okay. All listener. I'm done. I just got to read and make inane comments. Nick N. Listening to your season one, episode 10, rewatch discussion of Daenerys and her off and on ability to be immune to fire. Mm -hmm. I was struck with an idea in both major instances where Daenerys is consumed by fire in season one with the burning of Cal Drogo's body and the latest season with the burning of the cows. It dawned on me that in both instances, she's essentially sacrificing to the red god. Or to the faceless god, or to, you know, the stranger, like in any aspect of death. Uh, in season one, both Cal Drogo's body and that of the still-live witch are being burned in sacrifice, and the latest season, a gaggle of cows are sacrificed. This becomes more intriguing when you consider the power of the king's blood is supposed to have in the eyes of the red god, and the notion that cows are essentially kings of the Dothraki. Could her surviving the fires be the red god granting her momentary power? Maybe. I mean, did the red god grant her momentary power in her tent when she picked up the 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 super hot egg? Yeah, when she was stepping into super her hot, hot scalding water in her hot tub, like yeah. that's where there were these... people burning just outside of both of those rooms. Sure, you didn't sure. realize that, but I mean, I think you're on to something as uh-huh. far as you know. Obviously, you burn you you burn Cal Drogo and this witch. You got some blood magic going. You burn all these cows. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't know how that's going to change or manifest. It's also complicated because, as we read last week, uh, Gurm himself is not a big fan of the fireproof Targaryen theory. So I, I honestly right. don't know if they're going to, you know, because you've always said, well, the logical thing is for her to just march up. You know, all, all she needs is naked Danny marching up, uh, being carpeted by fire by the dragons all all through the the you know Red Keep, right? And until she gets to the Iron Throne, and then who's going to? Who's going to stop her? She'll be wreathed in flame the entire time. Yeah. Can't get close enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I 
I don't know where they're going now that they've doubled down on this fireproof thing because it seems like that's a pretty hot strategy. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> Uh, uh but yeah that, that's the thing like i get a lot i got a lot of emails this week about people wanting to rehash the white resurrection scene and and i'll say to everybody what i say to people emailing me is like it's not enough to say well it could be this it could be that you have to explain it with all known instances of the thing and also it has to be falsifiable like you know people are like well maybe white technology works to such that there's a time delay for them to bring bring them back time well, delay that didn't happen at hard home guy raised his hands fuckers right. that just died got up and became white hmm. like what are you know and and also that's a fine theory, but there's nothing on screen to indicate that. Like, I, I feel like the best one is still the fact that the mat, the, the walls magic had depowered, like all the magic in all the world. You know, we've heard from the pyromancers. We've heard from the warlocks and Quarth. We've heard from, uh, the, uh, from Melisandre herself, that her powers seem to get stronger when the dragons return. And I'm not saying that's a causal relationship. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever thing is powering the magic of this world is waking back up. Yeah. Um, Maybe so, but there again, that's just my fan fiction idea. Until something is proven from the books or show, we're just guessing here, and it's not super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan S. During your latest podcast, I heard you reference the deleted scene between Tywin and Pycelle. Uh, I wanted to bring your attention to further significance of that scene. You referenced how it showed Tywin fishing as a continuation of his outdoorsman persona. There is a deeper significance to the fact that he was fishing, though. When we first met Tywin, he was skinning a deer. The point there was the stag is the sigil of House Baratheon, so it was a visual reference to the Lannisters defeating the Baratheons. The deleted scene from Season 3 showing Tywin fishing is symbolic of the Lannisters defeating House Tully, whose sigil is a fish. In the first episode of Season 4, Two Swords, Tywin has a sword ice melted down and then throws a wolf pelt on the fire, showing the Lannisters defeating House Stark. The wolf pelt was used as a scabbard for ice per the Season 1 episode uh, uh, premiere episode. So this is a very neat way for the show creators to show Tywin symbolically defeating his enemies. I really wish they'd left hmm. that deleted scene in so that all three scenes would be shown within the context of the episodes. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, Tywin is a, is, a, is a fisher and hunter of men, mm. as, as well as their uh, more mundane varieties. Um, she continues, Susan does, that as for why Gendry joined the Night's Watch, the book strongly hint that Varys arranged it for his safety he like, as he likely arranged the apprenticeship. Varys either suspected or heard that Robert's bastards were in danger after his death. Unlike the show, Gendry still has a role in the books. Unlike the show taking Gendry to Stannis, in the books he continues on with the Brotherhood Without Banners and is at the inn in the Riverlands when Brienne happens by and they have their encounter with the Bloody Murmurs. Just recently, the actor who played Gendry was in a scene scene arriving in Belfast uh, for filming for what that's worth. Interesting. For filming or just vacation? Uh, I saw the I saw a photo of him. Well, why else would he be in Belfast? Vacation. I mean, did he did he make enough Gendry money that he can just vacation there? Oh yeah, yeah, lots uh, of money. He they paid him a million dollars an episode in Seinfeld money. <laughs> I think he had to pay to have a uh, a nude scene <laughs> with Melisandre myself. Yeah, uh, or that was so. that was that was payment in full. Uh, she gave him one gold coin. <laughs> because <laughs> Baratheons are worth no he'd be a silver <laughs> stag because that's you know oh of course yeah that's not much 
your summary of the fate of the Hill, Vale Hill tribes is accurate. Thank God, because I was kind of winging it. Uh, some remain in the Crownlands after the Blackwater and some return home. There are mentions here and there in the books that with their better weapons, they're already making a greater nuisance of themselves than before. I recently read an interesting essay by a great A Song of Ice and Fire blogger that posed some interesting ideas of what may come of them in the future books, especially Timit, son of Timit of the Burning Man, or the Burnt Man, rather. <laughs> Burning Man's a totally different tribe. Uh-huh. They're not very serious, you know. They, 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 they amass once a year. Nothing much comes of it. Uh, if you have any interest, you can find it at sweeticeandfiresunray.wordpress.com. The essay is found in the drop-down menu under Sands and the Giants. If you search for Sands and the Giants, it's the number one result. I recommend reading it, and I was going to try to summarize um, some of But this this thing just went on forever. I, I hit the print button to see 97 pages if what? I printed it out. Oh, Jesus. Of this analysis of essentially this prophecy that's contained in the books about Sansa defeating a uh, a, a, a giant made of ice and snow. Are they trying to write an ebook here? Is that what's happening? Uh, you know, this is there... a single article? Yes. 97 pages? Yes. Get out of here. No. No um, one's going to read that. Well, you're talking to a person who did. You read all 97 pages. Uh... I read about 45, yeah. I was, okay. I, I was a halfway through, and there I was about probably an hour into it, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I looked and see that I was nowhere near the end. <laughs> so then I skipped to the part about the uh, the Hill Tribes to see if I could even make it sense of that. But no, it's it's – and that's the thing. Like, this shit is a wormhole, man. Right. Like, all the different uh, people doing analysis of things to come and whether prophecies have got greater or lesser fulfillments, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Maggie O., so anyway, thank you for that, Susan. Uh, hell, I'll go ahead and link the blog in our show notes too, so you don't have to Google for it. So everyone else can also not read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, there will be people that read it. Jesus. Just because you're allergic to the printed page. Not uh, no, it's not even the printed page. Yeah, if you get an audio book, you listen to it. Sc- well, I'd probably read a 97 page book, but <laughs> I'm not going to read a 97 page blog post. Um, even if it's exhaustively. Uh, researched with well, tons of quotations. I, here's and, the thing. Here's the real truth. I'm not that interested in this prophecy thing. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's the thing. Like, a lot of people aren't. I'm kind of in, honestly, I'm in that category. Like, really? I, when I first got into hmm. this, I was super, and I still like the mainline theories, but like stuff like this where you're trying to divine the extra meaning between uh, a fulfillment that has already had one minor fulfillment where Sansa, you know, had a fight over the. Snow Winterfell with the right. Sweet Robin character, um, and and trying to just predict what Martin's going to do. Like I, I just rather wait for the books to come out. Yeah. And I don't know how to square that attitude with the fact that I was super fucking. And maybe it's just fatigue that like I was at a fever pitch three years ago. I was still pretty hot two years ago. I'm engaged a year ago. Now I'm just like you know what? There's not even been a there hasn't been a new book out in six years. Like how much right. of this stuff can I take seriously? How much of it is that's the thing. Those those theories stuff. go from being, you know, generally interesting to more and more nitpicky and specific, right? Like, well, that's what that's what I was amazed by this one because it was the first like long form substantive theory that I'd never really heard of and actually didn't fall apart on like first look. I'm uh, like, wow, okay. this is actually exhaustively supported with quotes and it, it weaves things like like unrelated drama like the Sir Hugh dying in season one and the first book with shit that's going down and a dance and like hmm. that's the kind of like it 
to the extent there are still secrets left to be mined from the books, they're going to be things like this. Right. Like really obscure stuff that if someone bothers to tease out all the quotes after they've read it a dozen times, they'll be able to put two and two together. And it still might be wrong. Because part of me wants to say, not even George yeah. has thought about this shit that much. Uh-huh. If he had, the books would be done by now. <laughs> uh, anyway, back off of that tangent. Maggie O said, I completely forgot about Rego's fate before the rewatch of Game of Thrones. I remember that Danny was pregnant and that there was a prophecy about her son and that he died and Drogo died and that Danny couldn't have any more kids. Beyond that, the details were fuzzy. I obviously didn't care too much about this plot point, so when Danny told Re- uh, was told that Drago died a stillborn monster. I didn't register as much more than a sad turn of events, and I moved on. Now on rewatch, my seasoned winter adult self wonders if Rago is actually dead. We didn't see the body, and most of other prophecies <laughs> that we've heard in Game of Thrones have come or are coming true. We've never had a prophecy be proved completely untrue. Even the most strange dreams and visions seem to have led somewhere. So my question, does the Dosh Kaleen, are they seen as an authority in Dothraki culture... Um, or if they are seen, how did they become such if their prophecies are just bunk? Do they tell every pregnant Khaleesi that her son will be the stallion that mounts the world, hoping that in some point it must be true? If so, why haven't they been fired as seers before this? <laughs> Is it that Rago could have been the stallion that mounts the world if Danny hadn't meddled? Is that person lost to the Dothrakis forever because of Danny's decision to trust Miri Mazdur? If Rago were still alive, would it change anything except to add another convoluted plot to his story that's supposed to be wrapping up? Is this prophecy just going to be a dangling thread? You why, got any thoughts? Why do... I mean, this is not something that is foreign to us in modern-day society. I mean, there are many people right. who claim to have knowledge of the future, who, who claim prophecies, and thousands upon thousands of people follow them. Right. Regardless of whether the prophecies come true, they wait for the next one. Uh, I mean... This is not something where, oh, your prophecy was wrong, we're going to behead you, or right. something like that. It's just like, the the she comes up with something that says, hey, uh, yeah, it didn't this, work out because she traded test. the horse blood. She did the right. horse blood thing wrong. And this and, is just a test for your horse faith. Right. The Have next faith one, in the Great Stallion. Here, here's the greater prophecy. And right. like, they just keep piling the bullshit on top of the bullshit, and, right. and people believe it. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't view this as like, so, and also, let's get Jorah wrapped up in this mix, because Jorah presumably is there mm-hmm. when all this goes down, right? So Jorah... Famous fortune teller, Jorah. Right. Long, the Mormons, they're just, like, sorcerers of the North. Yeah. Uh, but but he's... He would have to... If, let's say, Rego's alive, he would have to be lying to Danny right. about it, right? Because he was in this room. I'm sure he saw it all. I don't know. Uh, dudes Dudes of this era tend to fuck off whenever well, there's, like... Maybe. It's like, okay, here she is. I'm out. But he, but he was kind of like nodding along. Yep, yep. Dragon sure. scales, crazy face. Yeah, no, those leather tail, wings. No, Oof. no good. Oof. No Did good. Not Danny. take after his mother at all. <laughs> right. So you'd have to buy that Jor is lying to her. And at this point, I'm not so sure I buy that. Yeah. The other thing is, even in the nature of prophecies in Game of Thrones, like it's conclusively proven that Melisandre, her visions weren't wrong. Her interpretation of them was wrong. Like, she saw this stuff as applying to Stannis and when it was really applying to Jon Snow. Uh Um, And we see that many times. Like, Cersei is convinced that this prophecy to Valonqar is about Tyrion when we, the book-reading public, are convinced that it's going to be, you know, the Hound or Jaime or anybody but Tyrion, which would make a funny inversion if it actually uh, ends up being Tyrion. Uh Uh, But here's the point. 
Um, I don't think that the way it works is the Dothraki gods whisper into the Dosh Kaleen's ears, hey, there's going to be a sentiment, and there she's just translating. What right. they're giving is signs and portents. Of course. If you just say that they were right about the prophecy, instead of they assumed that these signs were pointing towards the unborn child in her belly, mm-hmm. but really the gods were giving a prophecy about Danny herself, uh-huh. I mean... That's Stan- easy, an easy spin. Sure. Stan, Stanny, Danny in her in the present shape looks very much like a, a a stallion that's got the world in in her eyes and has got a mean, it got a way means and motive to mount it. So mm-hmm. now, if Danny, that's the other complication. If Danny just ends up falling flat on her face and gets that gets nowhere in her conquering of Westeros, um, you know, we can go b- right Failed back to this. Prophecy, like, well, yeah. the Dosh Kaleen just was full of shit, right? So, um, but yeah, I think that if you just say that they, you know, in their patriarchal culture, they see a woman who's pregnant and she's saying she's carrying a man. Well, obviously, you know, the prophecy yeah. is about one of those two people. It must be about the unborn male heir. Sure. So that's another one. That's one I've always thought that they, they had the right prophecy. They just had the target wrong mm-hmm. and made a mistake. It would be easy for their culture to make. Uh, Brazos writes in and says, in last week's episode, you mentioned how Maester Pycelle was patronizing Joffrey by talking about a sound military mind. But I got to thinking about who else is known for the military prowess, none other than Stannis Baratheon, who seemingly kept getting the shit kicked out of him over and over, even after buying an army, something Joffrey would likely do. I was wondering if Stannis' reputation was fabricated like King Joff's. Is there anything that backs up the notion that Stannis is great, or was he hyped up and the perception is much different than reality? Well, uh, I guess from what we see, we shouldn't necessarily believe that he's that great right? of a military mind. Um, well, and that's the thing, like, so, I mean, the reality is he's a great military leader because that's what other people that we're conditioned to respect in Westeros describe him as such. And you are correct that we don't have a lot of military history that we see, certainly in the show. I mean, we hear about... Right. His his main claim to fame is he held he didn't starve while he was holding uh was he's holding his, the 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 Baratheon's family seat at, at uh, during the siege of Storm's End okay. and and that he didn't starve because you know Davos came by with a a, a truckload of onions or a boatload of onions that his men right. were able to sustain himself on rats boot leather and and onions uh, until Ned is, was able to ride up and free him. Um, so, I mean, I I don't know what to say. Like he is, it's very much like we're just told that he's this badass and he's been the, the, the winner of several other campaigns that we don't really see or know much about. And, uh, that he's a competent military commander and he's tough and uncompromising, but his weaknesses that he doesn't know how to really motivate or inspire others. Uh, and not, not just others, because he's also said to be a really good battlefield commander. Um, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't know how to inspire like lords, the ones that are going to get him right. the troops yeah. that he needs. Not a great politician. He's not a great yeah. politician. So, but that's you know the the books are, ex- are replete with examples of you know we hear how much of a badass Jamie Lannister is with a sword, but we don't really ever see it. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's few and far between where like you know that's usually what's so cool about the books is like when you get to a scene like oh shit, Barristan Selmy's about to throw down to some random dude. Like, you know, a hush falls over you because it's like you're about to see something you hardly ever see. Mm-hmm. You're about to see a badass fight scene that's <laughs> that's going to be shown and not and not, not talked about. Uh, Kiki says, 
you guys mentioned how the Hound was being so nice to Sansa in the season one finale, and it made me remember something that has been bothering me ever since season two. In the episode Blackwater, the Hound offers to both protect Sansa and take her home to Winterfell, or at least away from King's Landing. She refuses, as she does in the books. The thing that always bothers me is why. In the book, the Hound cycles between being kind of nice to her and terrifying her. In A Clash of Kings, Sansa has already made a plan to escape, and the Hound has scare- scared her virtually every time they interacted, along with being maybe infatuated with her, so add kind of creepy to that list. In the show, he has pretty much been kind to her throughout their entire relationship and scared her maybe twice. <laughs> she didn't have a plan to get away until season three, so why refuse? I mean, yeah, he's still a scary guy, but nowhere near the levels he is in the books. It just felt like a uh, the main reasons she had refused in the books are either entirely missing or barely there. Hmm. Um, so I found a Vulture article from May 2012 where... Uh, Sophie Turner talks about the motivations of Sansa. So you can kind of take it from the horse's mouth, not to imply that Sophie Turner is horse-like in any way. Okay. Uh, She wants to go back to Winterfell and see her family again, but after being caged up, she's learned not to trust anyone. She knows her family isn't going to be like it is in the fairy tales, waiting for her to return. She hears that her brother is fighting a war, and she knows it's never going to be the same. It's not like she has a plan to get out, because she's only thinking about her survival in the here and now. And she's kind of just going with the flow. But she's very broken, kind of stunned and traumatized, and it's hard for her to function without the people who love her. And this made me think about the concept of like learned helplessness, which if you if you if you can look, you, there's a Wikipedia article on it where you know you can you can do this if you um, put a, a an organism through enough trauma and especially like pointless trauma that it, it 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 essentially deprives them of the ability to make decisions for themselves and they kind of tend to go with like what other people want them to do or what is the current status quo. Um, like there's, there's examples of, um, experiments where they put like a dog or a cat in a cage and they randomly electrify its cage. And like at first the dog or cat or monkey makes attempts to escape the painful stimulus. But as it continues, they eventually just curl up in a ball and just take it because there's no rhyme or reason. Nothing they do seems to ever change the situation. So why even try? Mm -hmm. And I think that they're. Because of the way they shifted the events from the books to the series, they are banking on you understanding that Sansa is at this stage when the Hound goes to offer her help. It's like suspicious. Like, you know, that's the other thing is like, how could this possibly be something good? I better stay in my room where I've been told to be or things will go badly for me. It's very much like Reek later on. Yeah. There's another classic example of learned helplessness where like he actually could have been rescued way in advance, but he does because he can't imagine that this is a good thing. There's so many things that should have been good for him and weren't. So yeah, another good example. Uh, Ido says, you guys didn't talk about this two similarities between the battle of the whispering wood and the battle of the bastards. Uh, Both Rob and Ramsey sacrificed many people, uh, for a military advantage, both Rob and Ramsey refused a proposal for a one-on-one battle from John and Jamie. The viewers' reaction to these two situations is different because Rob is the good guy, so we go easy on him for sacrificing people uh, when they did pretty much the same things. Do you think the writers created these similarities on purpose, or is it just a coinky-dink? Uh, well, I hadn't thought about it. I think they do them for different reasons, and certainly one is broken up about it, one is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob doesn't think this is a great thing right. that he's done, whereas Ramsey's 
perfectly fine with sacrificing men. Yeah, especially um, when they're, they're like you know umber men and right other men that are not. And I mean, even his men. There's there's a certain I don't know I when I look at wars like that I don't necessarily think you can evaluate it just like every life is sacred right because it's not about necessarily the single life of a soldier it's about the greater good quote unquote whatever you want to sure want to say about that um but you know if you're fighting a war you're fighting it to win for some long term benefit right and in the short term you have to make sacrifices and. And part of the I, thing I don't, about... I don't view that as, like, a negative thing. I mean, as much... I guess I view it negatively as much as Rob does. Well, which is, like, I'm, it, gonna, I'm still going to do it because it needs to be done, but, like... It's part of the horror uh, of And war. I'm going to regret the fact that I had to do it, but I'm not going to not do it because it's not right. Right. Or something. Right. Yeah, no, and I think that uh, usually, you know, at least in modern militaries, you know, soldiers are aware of the fact that they might be ordered to do something that would lead to their lot the, the loss of their lives but overall would help the com the, the war efforts right yeah. uh you know like i don't you know usually people aren't directly ordered on suicide missions because there's a lot of weird psychology with that they should have at least a glimmer of a chance of survival uh-huh. uh, at least individual survival but yeah like you can you can get uh, dudes to do like um i remember reading the novelization of uh um uh, what was that movie? Saving Private Ryan, where one of the sergeants was like telling the men, like, you know, look to the guy to the left and to the right. None of those those sons of the bitches ain't coming home, but you're going to make it. Right. Like, right. we're expecting two thirds casualties, but you're going to be the lucky one. And every single one of you is going to be the lucky one. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. I mean, that, that's a that's like storming the beaches of Normandy, right? Like that's but I do a think perfect example. I've never thought of this, but there is a there is a poetic similarity to that. There is. I I don't know that they're like trying to specifically point out, oh, look that these guys are both doing the same things here. Right. It's more like this is what needed to be done in the moment and they both react very differently to it. Yes. So if anything, I think it's almost drawing distinctions between the two characters because you can give two characters the same stimulus and see how they personally view it right and that tells you something about them as well yeah um but yeah no i I thought that was a good point uh brooke b said will cersei do the opposite of what we're all expecting i expect her to rain her reign won't last long but instead of jamie versus cersei aka who's going to kill each other first what what if the opposite happens what if she declares her brother uh her lover and her king for all the entire realm to see oof a few things are holding her back from going public with Jamie. Number one, Tywin. Number two, her children and their claims to the throne. And number three, the faith. Now that all these have been wiped out and the realm already hates her, what does she have to lose? Perhaps this is why the Valonqar part of the prophecy is not mentioned in the show. Perhaps it won't down quite, go down quite the way we think. She just may bring incest back to the throne the way it was during the reign of the Targaryens. This is more of a show-type theory, but it would also fit in nicely with the story arc that has been presented thus far. Think about it. Cersei threatened Tywin that she and Jaime would come out if he made her marry Loras, so clearly she's not ashamed of it. Also, Jaime confessed his love to Lord Edmure, so he clearly doesn't give a rat's ass who knows either. He loves Lord Edmure? <laughs> no, he confesses his love for his sister to Lord Edmure. Oh. Uh, see, I'm not the only one writing a homoerotic <laughs> slash fic here. Uh what do you, so my big problem with this is that you, Jamie's arc seems to be that he threw his his prospect of being the kind of person he wanted to be, which was a noble knight that like songs were sung about mm-hmm. in the Kingsguard. He threw all that away to save 
essentially the people of King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Okay. He rides up and sees this burning smolder, and he's going to find out that his lover, essentially, for selfish reasons, did the exact opposite. She burnt the city so that she would not have to suffer humiliation and defeat. That's fair, yeah. Um, and with Jamie's overall arc, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I see it. Like this late in this in the series, I don't know that I can buy Jamie just. You know, essentially pulling a Lord Vader and standing behind Palpatine here. Like, what's going to be the loot coming and saying, Father, please, is going to move him off of that position? She's already burnt half the fucking city. I, I think it was Tommen. I, I think that moment has happened. I think it's Tommen. We just haven't seen the full reaction yet. So you're you're with me. You don't think yeah, that yeah. he's going to go back to the Dark Queen side. Yeah, I just, I, I can't see it. I can't see it. All the kids are dead now. Like right, and I and I definitely see and one the confusion of them, and pain because Cersei's like, "This is what we wanted. This is what we talked about. Us versus everyone." But like, right? You know, and and Jamie says shit like that, but I don't think he really means it. Not in like a Holocaust sense of the word. He means it, but but maybe just to a point, right? Like. Like yeah, defeat How the Starks, far, yeah. the, the the great people, the but like you know just indiscriminately burning all these men, women, and children. I think that mean, but then again, it's the man who shoved an eight year old out of a window, right? But but I mean, Cersei essentially shoved Tommen out of a window, right? Like right, yeah. I mean. I I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how Jamie reacts now that he's back in King's Landing, and you know the Dark Queen is sitting on the throne. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe he'll just join up with the dark side here and be the Vader to her Palpatine. But I, I could also easily see it going the other way. Yeah, uh, more easily because I again, and right. I already yeah. so they've already done a reversal with him because in the books, like once Joffrey dies, things are never quite the same between them. Really? He finds out about her infidelities, and then he's ordered to go on this campaign to Riverlands. And instead of going there and and renewing his love for her, he just meditates on how she's never done anything. And like I mentioned, I think that was shocking to you that he gets a summons from her where she's up, up to her neck and shit, and she's going to have this trial. And she's like, please come be my champion. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he takes a message and just crumples it up and mm. throws it to the fire. Like, that's how much of a shit he gives. And I always thought it was weird that they took that pivot point in the books and spun it to where they were closer than ever. Yeah. And like yeah. that. And so they've already kind of done that zigzag once. If they do it again, with two half seasons left, I don't know that I'm going to go along with it. I mean, it's, it's all depends the on how story. they write it. But maybe that's just the story they're going to tell with the show. Maybe yeah. it's going to be entirely different between them. I I mean, I don't know. But, like I said, there's lots of there's lots of other potential Valen cars that'll choke her to death, which isn't even a thing in the show. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, again, but if you assume that like even without the prophecy, the same events will happen with roughly the same people, and I think that the closest you get to the core, you know, when you're talking about what happens with the Jory Castle. You know, one of Ned's, Who? yeah, one of <laughs> one of the Ned's Aaron boys in King's Landing. That can change quite a bit. We just we're talking about right. like you know, Jon Snow, Cersei, Jaime, Arya. Like they can have substantially different outcomes from the books that are show. At least I don't think so. Right. Um. And and if they're going to differ a little, it's going to be like by degree. It's not going to be like widespread. Every single ch- character is different. Like why would you do that? Because, again, I also go for that 
at the end of the day, the Double Ds are trying to make a good faith effort to adapt Georgia's world to the screen. They're not really, they never were in this to kind of make their own mark on it or Mm -hmm. fix the problems that they saw with the narrative. Like it was fans that thought this would be cool and they could just sit back and, and, and fill this, this framework out and and make it sing. And so, Hmm. uh, that's, that's all the spoiler feedback we got. Okay. So if you'd like to continue the discussion, uh, the only place to do it from in the, the, the off-season is going to be on our forums, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, thank you very much, everyone who's listened. This has been a very successful run of Game of Thrones for us. Thank you, especially everyone that supported us, um, You know, either, either through the Amazon or on the club. Um, we couldn't do it without you. Uh, really do hope that you join us in some of the projects because there's lots of good television. We, you know, there's only, it'd be great if we could cover all the television. Uh, (laughs) we do as much as we can and I'm really excited about Westworld in particular. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited for the walking dead to come back to see, it's going to be fun. To see it's, how they pick up the wreckage of last season and, and it's move always with just it. a good time. I yeah, mean, we do live watches on that for club members, so like I always have a good time just goofing on the show right. during those. And then you know, some weeks it's good, some weeks it's bad, but it's always a good time. Uh, but no, thank you especially for the Game of Thrones watchers and fellow fans because uh, you guys have done uh, a lot to to make Bald Move successful. And yep. and uh, if it was just purely a profit and popularity decision, uh, we'd probably continue and just do Game of Thrones. But like I said, <laughs> where would we be in two years? Right. <laughs> Where, you know, Westworld and projects like that are, are hedges for the future. So, uh, but no, I appreciate it. We'll be back again. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter or on baldmove.com if you want to know what we're up to and, and what we're going to be doing. Um, but if not, we'll see you next year. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye-bye.